Welcome to NTD Evening News. Our top story tonight, the battle for New Hampshire. Former President Trump taking a surprise stop as the New Hampshire primary is underway. What he tells NTD about the margin he's expecting and what the latest polls are showing. Iris Tao on the ground. So which candidate has more support in New Hampshire? We'll hear from voters in the fiercely independent state. Israel has its deadliest day in the war with Hamas, a record number of soldiers killed in combat. How Prime Minister Netanyahu is responding. Senators today still not managing to agree on a deal for border funding. This comes as a new report shows just how many billions the government is spending on immigration. Arian Pazdar has a border update. Two of Hunter Biden's business associates will testify before Congress. This while his own lawyers are also facing scrutiny. Find out what issues lawmakers are investigating. This is NTD Evening News. Live from our NTD Global Headquarters in New York City, here is Tiffany Meyer. I'm Don Ma, filling in for Tiffany Meyer. Good evening and thank you for joining us tonight. Voters in New Hampshire now casting their ballots as Trump faces off with Nikki Haley in New Hampshire. Joining us now from Trump's watch party is NTD's White House correspondent, Iris Tao. Good evening to you, Iris. What are we expecting to see tonight? And what's Trump saying leading up to tonight? Good evening to you, Don. So all eyes are on New Hampshire tonight as voters here go out to vote and cast their ballots in the GOP primary, which is the first in the nation. In just a few hours, former President Trump will be here for his watch party in Nashua, New Hampshire, where he's going to come out to address supporters after results become more clear. And polls here in New Hampshire start closing at around 7 p.m. Eastern time, and the last ones will close at around 8 o'clock. The results should start coming in right afterwards. Meanwhile, during the day today, Trump made a surprise stop at one of the polling sites here in New Hampshire, saying that Nikki Haley might have a big loss tonight, while adding that he, quote, couldn't care less about whether Nikki Haley would drop out. Watch. I would never ask anybody to pull out. I didn't ask Ron to pull out. I didn't ask Vivek to pull out. Nobody. But we have great support, and most of the people that pulled out have already supported him, so it's actually quite nice. And that's in line with what President Trump told me last night before his rally, which is the last one before the Tuesday primary. He told me that it's up to Nikki Haley whether she's going to drop out. He also told me that he's expecting to win by big margins in tonight's race. Watch. Do you think it'll win by the same margin here? I think we're going to win by big margins, yeah. Forget about it. We just had a lot of polls come in the last hour. You see what they are doing. Trump is leading Nikki Haley by double digits in the latest poll here in New Hampshire. But New Hampshire is known for some surprise results, especially given its more moderate electorate. Actually, unlike in Iowa, independent and undeclared voters can all vote in this state's GOP primary. And even Trump today said that will be a wild card. Meanwhile, Nikki Haley today pushing back against the prediction that she's going to drop out and also saying this about her goal for tonight. I don't do what he tells me. 
tells me to do. I've never done what he tells me to do. Um, look, I mean, I think I don't strong. I've always said we'll know strong when the numbers come in. What I've always had in my mind is I want to be stronger than Iowa. And just moments ago, CNN released its exit poll today's primary, which shows a rather closely divided electorate here between Republicans and moderate and undeclared voters. According to the poll, about two-thirds of primary voters say they are conservative, about one-quarter say they are very conservative, and about one-third say they are moderates. And back to you, Don. All right, thanks for that update from New Hampshire. Iris. As voters across New Hampshire now head to the polls, who will be the ultimate winner for the White House? NTD spoke with residents of the heavily independent state to find out what issues matter to them the most and which candidate has their support. For more than a century, New Hampshire has been holding the nation's first election primary. With independents making up more than 40 percent of the voters, the Granite State is a pivotal stop for every presidential campaign. Some voters this year believe former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley is a viable option. I hope Nikki wins, but that will take an act of God, which that's happened before. I mean, she's more moderate, which I appreciate. She's younger, which I appreciate. Um, and she's new. Watching the debates, she seemed to be the only one who had actual plans, not just random ideas. Haley's campaign was off to a good start in New Hampshire. She secured all six votes in a small township called Dixville Notch. But challenges are still ahead as she faces former President Trump, who leads her by a significant margin in the state, according to a recent Boston Globe poll. Trump did, at least when he did his campaign, the things that he campaigned, he did uh, try to approach all those subjects. He's like the only one telling the truth. He's the only one that's ever kept his promises. Maybe he didn't keep all of them, but he kept most of them. Most politicians just get up there and lie. You know, so I'm a Trump fan and uh, to the end. Haley has vowed to stay in the race regardless of how well she does in New Hampshire. Meanwhile, President Biden is not on the state's ballot. That's as the DNC set a new schedule this year and plans to kick off his first primary in South Carolina instead. I wish that uh, the Democratic National Committee hadn't made the choice that they made, uh, but New Hampshire's law is New Hampshire's law. Didn't like it. Didn't like it at all. Felt disrespected. That's a big mistake on his part, but I mean, who's going to run against Joe? I think it's unfortunate. I think that I think he should have been, but you know, choices were made. Sam Wong, NTD News. And make sure you don't miss our special coverage of the New Hampshire primary coming up tonight. Join Steve Lance and Tiffany Meyer for another exciting election night on The Nation Decides 2024. Ex exclusive on-the-ground access and special guests. Watch the action live tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Moving now on to the Middle East, Israel experiences its deadliest day in the war with Hamas. A record number of soldiers killed in combat. But Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says Israel will not stop fighting until it achieves absolute victory. In today's Virginia, Gibson has the updates. Yesterday was one of the hardest days since the war broke out. We lost 24 of our best sons. 
Israel experiences its deadliest day since the war began. 24 soldiers were killed by Hamas terrorists. The IDF posted on X that 21 of them were killed in one incident as they were removing terrorist infrastructure. The post says it appears Hamas terrorists fired an RPG missile at a tank near the soldiers. At the same time, an explosion caused two two-story buildings to collapse. Many soldiers were either inside or nearby. We, as always, will investigate the incident in depth and learn the lessons while fighting so that such an incident will not happen again. IDF Chief of Staff Hertzi Halevi says Israel is refreshing its forces and changing its strategy. One of the soldiers killed was Major Elay Levy. Levy's mother touches her son's coffin as it's lowered into the ground. Levy's father delivers words of encouragement. Let's show our enemies that we are strong, and even in such a difficult situation, we do not break. UK released footage of Royal Air Force fighter jets taking off. Soon to launch precision guided bombs on the Hamas allied Houthis in Yemen. They have been attacking cargo ships in the Red Sea, believed to be transporting goods to Israel. But Britain says the attacks are indiscriminate. These attacks are illegal, unacceptable. And what we've done again is send the clearest possible message that we will continue to degrade their ability to carry out these attacks. UK Foreign Secretary David Cameron says the Houthis are threatening freedom of navigation. UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak says all the intended targets have been destroyed based on initial evidence. Virginia Gibson, NTD News. Democratic governors say they need more federal help to deal with the immigration crisis. This comes as a new report shows that government spending on immigration is increasing by the billions. NTD's Arian Pazdar has an update on the border crisis. The Biden administration reportedly spent almost $11 billion on aiding illegal immigrants and refugees in 2023. That's an increase from just under $9 billion the year before. That's according to a government watchdog group called Open the Books. Its report says most of the money was spent on housing, work authorizations, medical screenings and more. Now these new numbers come just as nine Democratic governors are saying they need more federal help to deal with the immigration crisis. Seven of those nine governors represent sanctuary states such as New York and California. Now they're asking Congress to pass the border funding bill, which is currently being discussed in the Senate. The bill would include money for local governments to deal with the crisis. However, on Tuesday afternoon, senators said this about the ongoing border bill negotiations. Though we have made significant progress, there's still more work to do. The border funding is part of Biden's supplemental aid package, which also includes money for Israel and Ukraine. It was expected to be released this week, but now seems to be delayed. And lastly, the White House on Tuesday commenting on Monday's Supreme Court ruling. The high court is allowing the Biden administration to remove Texas razor wire. A reporter asked why the Biden administration wants to remove the wire. The Border Patrol needed access, and that's why we 
suit to get rid of that uh, razor wire so that they could do their jobs. And you know what would also help them do their jobs, Peter? More border patrol agents. There's an idea. And if you go back to the supplemental request that we put in, there's money in there. But there is still another case pending at a federal court. It will ultimately decide if Texas can keep the razor wire or not. Ariane Pastar, NTD News. Hunter Biden's business associates will be testifying before members of Congress later this week. It's part of the House impeachment inquiry into President Biden. On Thursday, Mervyn Yan will testify behind closed doors before the House Oversight and Judiciary Committees. He worked with Hunter Biden through Chinese energy companies CEFC and Hudson West 3. On Friday, Rob Walker will testify behind closed doors before both committees. Walker is known for working on a joint venture called Sinohawk Holdings. This was meant to partner up with CEFC. Both interviews will be transcribed. Yan's and Walker's depositions come before Hunter Biden's own closed-door testimony scheduled for February 28th. Lawyers representing Hunter Biden refused to answer specific questions about whether they paid some of his legal bills while representing him. A conservative legal group is raising concerns over the attorney's representation of the younger Biden, claiming that it could violate the rules of the California bar. In testimony before House committees last week, the lawyers representing Hunter Biden invoked attorney-client privilege 17 times during questioning. According to the transcript of the deposition, Hollywood law lawyer Kevin Morris and his lawyer invoked the privilege when asked about the first son's finances and business dealings. Congressional investigators are trying to determine whether Hunter Biden used President Biden's influence to conduct business. Morris claimed that his legal representation of Hunter Biden was global and complete. And he argued that almost any detail of their relationship is off limits. America First Legal, a conservative legal group, filed a complaint with the California State Bar against Morris for allegedly violating its rules of professional conduct. Coming up, is Nikki Haley becoming less conservative this election cycle, like former President Trump says? Our guests think so. Hear his analysis of the New Hampshire primary. A Chinese-owned factory in Ohio was raided. Hear what lawmakers are saying about the factory's parent company. The Chinese regime is reportedly lobbying diplomats at the United Nations, asking them to praise its human rights record. The revelation comes amid a key UN meeting examining Beijing's track record. And Russia unleashes another round of missile attacks on Ukraine, while Sweden is one step closer to being a NATO member state. Find out more after the break here on NTD News. Are the first results coming out of New Hampshire any indicators of how the night will go? Joining us now to break down the significance of the primary in the Granite State, we have Bart Marcois. He's a former presidential campaign policy advisor. Now, Bart, how do you interpret the first results from the New Hampshire primary with Nikki Haley winning the tiny resort town, Dixville Notch? As an example, is this reflective of how tonight's Republican primary might play out? Well, if I were Nikki Haley, I would be trumpeting that result all over the country that she won 100%. Of course, 
It's only six votes, so it's not really going to help her very much. Dixville Knox gives you a fun story to tell while you're waiting for the results to come in, but that's all. It, it, it has utterly no predictive power. And as well, Trump says uh, Haley isn't conservative enough to be the Republican uh, nominee. Is this uh, consistent with what we've seen with GOP voters and what they're looking for? And is that relevant to the New Hampshire primary where independents actually make up a large share of voters? It is relevant. Um, even though independents make up a large share of voters, it's very relevant because it speaks to the movement of Nikki Haley's uh, ideological positions leftward as she has engaged in running for president. She started out her career as a conservative. She was known as a, as a relatively conservative governor in South Carolina, and that was the basis of her popularity there. But since she started running for president, she is being funded by hard left political interests by soft left and liberal political interests and by liberal and establishment Republicans. She is being paid to not be conservative, and she's doing what she's paid for. She was criticized recently for not answering directly whether a man can become a woman. She didn't give a straight answer to that question. Eight years ago, she would have answered that without hesitation, but now she's being paid to not answer that question. And, and it shows that she is the creature of the people paying for her campaign, hundreds of millions of dollars for her campaign. Okay, Bart, I want your comments on the situation with the undeclared voters as well. There's a lot of them out there. There are, and in New Hampshire, they play an outsized role more than in any other state, because in New Hampshire, you can, you can uh, de if you're an undeclared voter, you can decide on election day to vote in either the Republican or the Democrat primary. Joe Biden took his name off the ballot in New Hampshire. He's not on the ballot. There's no place for Democrat voters to go except to write in his name or vote for some of the also-rans. There's no reason for an undeclared voter to vote for the Democrats. And the pool of undeclared voters is larger than either the Republicans or the Democrats by 75,000 voters. There are fewer than, there are about 270,000 each for Republican and, and Democrat voters. But there are 344,000 undeclared voters, and they all could vote in the Republican primary. That could be enough to shift it all to Nikki Haley. She would win if that happens. Everyone would know she won with the support of Democrats and with undeclared voters, but she could notch it as a win, and it would keep her going until she loses her home state two weeks from now. Trump is telling his supporters not to get complacent because of his lead in the polls and to go out and actually vote. So to what extent can a large lead in the polls cause voters to stay home, actually, thinking that uh, maybe their candidate will win without their vote? We see it all the time. They'll say, oh, he doesn't need my vote. It's cold. It's snowing. The weather's bad. I'm busy. Uh, I won't bother. It's dark. Polls will close in an hour. And they don't go. However, the Trump won the biggest, uh, the, the, the most voters in the history of the New Hampshire primary eight years ago in 2016. 
and he wants to repeat that. He wants to repeat that uh, that that feat. And with all of the undeclared voters uh, at large in New Hampshire, he needs every single Republican vote he can get to make sure he has this nomination locked down by tomorrow morning. Okay, Bart. Thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you. There are ongoing concerns by lawmakers that Chinese companies operating in the U.S. are evading tariffs. A Chinese-owned auto parts maker in Ohio was recently searched by the Department of Homeland Security. The maker's parent company was recently accused of trade fraud. NTD's Jason Blair reports. WHIO and other local news networks reported that the DHS searched Harco Manufacturing Group in Moraine, Ohio last week. The company makes vehicle brake parts. Harco is owned by Sunsong Holdings, who is a subsidiary of Qingdao Sunsong. Qingdao Sunsong was recently accused of evading U.S. tariffs by moving part of their production to Thailand. Representatives Mike Gallagher and Darren LaHood wrote a letter to the DHS about this, saying it's a, quote, case of blatant trade fraud that is having a catastrophic impact on American manufacturers. The Department of Homeland Security has not confirmed yet whether the raid is connected to the trade fraud accusations. A DHS representative told Axios, quote, Homeland Security investigations executed a federal search warrant in the Moraine, Ohio area January 18th. This is an ongoing investigation. No further information is available at this time. Jason Blair, NTD News. A group of diplomats say the Chinese regime has been lobbying other countries to praise its human rights record. The revelations came ahead of a key United Nations meeting Tuesday, where China will face questions and criticism over its actions in Hong Kong and Xinjiang. According to the diplomats, China's mission at the UN in Geneva had been sending memos to envoys from other countries. The Chinese envoy reportedly targeted non-Western countries. An African diplomat speaking to Reuters on the contingent of anonymity confirmed having received a request and said he would do as asked. Today, China is in the hot seat as the UN Human Rights Council holds its universal periodic review, which all member states must undergo every five years. More than 160 countries registered to take part in the discussion in Geneva about China's human rights record. What cases did they make? Here's the Insights Group. The Chinese regime faced rare scrutiny of its human rights record at the United Nations. This UN review is the first since a 2022 UN report said the detention of Uyghurs and other minorities in Xinjiang and northwest China may constitute crimes against humanity. The UN's permanent representative issued recommendations including to stop the persecution and detention of Uyghurs and Tibetans and allow freedom of religion or belief, as well as repeal the national security law imposed on Hong Kong by Beijing. An extraordinary high number of more than 160 countries, some critics of Beijing, some allies, registered to take part. That meant each country had a maximum of 45 seconds to speak. 
Here's the Canadian ambassador. Canada recommends that China, one, implement the recommendations set out by the CSCR and CEDAW and all coercive measures imposed on Uyghurs, Tibetans and other ethnic minorities, including forced labour, coercive labour transfers, forced sterilizations, and mandatory residential schools. Two, ensure Hong Kong upholds its obligations under the ICCPR. Three, repeal the current national security law in Hong Kong and discontinue all cases against individuals charged for exercising their human rights and freedoms. Four, end all forms of enforced disappearance targeting human rights defenders, ethnic minorities and Falun Gong practitioners and five, grant the UN including the OHCHR and special procedures full and unfettered access to all regions of China including Tibet and Xinjiang. Canada also notes with concern the increasing extraterritorial repression of human rights defenders. It's a speed reading exercise for some ambassadors to get all their points in. We wish to recommend that China first and the criminalization of religious and peaceful civil expression by ethnic and ethno-religious groups, including Muslim Uyghurs and Buddhist Tibetans and Mongolians, under the pretext of protecting state security. Second, repeal Hong Kong's national security law, ignoring fundamental rights and freedoms, and end intimidation and attacks on human rights lawyers and journalists. Third, stop cross-border kidnappings and intimidating Chinese citizens living abroad. Beijing denied any human rights abuses. Chen Yu, China's permanent representative to the UN, said the freedom of religious beliefs of Chinese citizens are safeguarded. Washington's envoy repeated the US accusation that the Chinese regime is committing genocide. And in the war between Russia and Ukraine, missiles made by North Korea are showing up on the battlefield. This fuels concerns that North Korean weapons could help Russia further attack Ukraine. Ukrainian officials say Russia launched missile attacks across Ukraine today, including on the capital, Kyiv, as well as the city of Kharkiv in the east. The attacks reportedly killed at least nine people and wounded at least 89 others nationwide. Most of the casualties were in Kharkiv. Officials also say the missiles hit several buildings across the country. Some of the damage occurred next to the United Nations office in Kyiv, according to a staff member there. As the war in Europe continues, NATO today signed a $1.2 billion contract for artillery rounds. Several countries will either pass on the firepower to Ukraine or use it to stock up their own depleted inventories. And speaking of NATO, Turkey's parliament just approved Sweden's NATO membership bid today. This clears the biggest remaining hurdle to expanding the alliance after 20 months of delays. Now that Turkey's parliament has ratified the move, the country's president is expected to sign it into law within days. This then leaves Hungary as the only member state not to have approved Sweden's ascension. Hungary's prime minister today invited his Swedish counterpart to visit for negotiations. Coming up in New Hampshire, a Biden challenger says he's gaining momentum in the race. Congressman Dean Phillips is worried that President Biden can't beat Trump. Arlene Richards has more on his strategy. What makes this year's election cycle special? Our guest says we're witnessing American history in the making. Find out why. And a smash and grab using a stolen government car. A group of thieves ransacked a Southern California store. What authorities are saying about the crime after the break? Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. Israel experienced its highest single-day death toll for troops in the war with Hamas. Meanwhile, the U.S. and the U.K. launched new strikes against the Houthis in Yemen. 
A watchdog group found that the Biden administration spent almost $11 billion on illegal immigrants and refugees in 2023, which was up $2 billion from the year before. This, while nine Democratic governors say they need more federal help to deal with the immigration crisis. Two of Hunter Biden's business associates will testify before Congress behind closed doors this Thursday and Friday. This after lawyers representing Hunter Biden invoked attorney-client privilege 17 times during questioning by lawmakers. Results from the New Hampshire primary will be rolling in tonight. A recent poll showed former President Trump still leading Nikki Haley by a significant margin. Democratic Congressman Dean Phillips is no longer planning to leave the race. On Tuesday, he said there is an immense need to keep this challenge going. The Minnesota Democrat is hoping to show President Biden's weakness by getting more than 20 percent of the New Hampshire votes, and he's getting support from a heavy hitter. NTD's Arlene Richards has more details. I want to wake people up. Democratic presidential candidate Dean Phillips just changed his strategy from leaving the race by March 5th to staying in for as long as it takes. Last November, he said in a social media post, if my campaign is not viable after March 5th, I'll wrap it up. But on Tuesday, he told CNN this. I have a conviction that Joe Biden's going to lose. And if anybody looks at the data really objectively, I mean, he's going to. And someone had to do it. Last August, Phillips repeatedly called for a competitive primary instead of Biden running unopposed. When he entered the race in October, he told CBS he didn't think Biden could beat Trump. Look at the numbers. All I'm asking people to do is look at the numbers. All we have to go on is polling. It's imperfect, but the numbers are horrifying. Phillips says he's trying to get something going in New Hampshire because Biden is doing nothing. The latest Emerson poll shows Biden lead in Phillips by 45 points in New Hampshire, 61 percent to 16 percent. Phillips predicts he will get over 20 percent on Tuesday, but says the incumbent... Joe Biden should be at 80 percent. Everybody knows him. If he's a strong candidate, he should get in that range. But Biden isn't on the ballot in New Hampshire. The Democratic National Committee changed its first primary from New Hampshire to South Carolina, and now Biden can only be a write-in option. Phillips is getting support from some heavy hitters. New Hampshire's largest newspaper, The Union Leader, endorsed Phillips Monday, calling him a reasonable alternative to Biden. Also on Monday, former Democratic presidential candidate Andrew Yang endorsed Phillips. He said Biden is not the right candidate to beat Trump. Phillips is a 54-year-old three-term congressman who launched a run for the Democratic nomination in October last year. He hopes to boost his numbers by appealing to New Hampshire's sizable population of independent voters in the state's Democratic primary on Tuesday. The Minnesota Democrat has said he is not running for re-election for his seat in the House. Arlene Richards, NTD News. In this election cycle, what are the top issues for voters, including those in New Hampshire? And what makes this election season special? Joining us now to offer his take, we have Javier Palomares, founder and CEO of the U.S. Hispanic Business Council. So Javier, uh, we note that the economy and immigration are two of the top issues for voters uh, this election cycle. So both issues um, you've been very outspoken on. How do you think this will factor into the results out of New Hampshire tonight? Absolutely, Don. You know, it, it became very apparent to our association after Iowa that the American people, no matter where they are in this country, 
immigration has become uh, an issue for every American. It's no longer a border state issue. And certainly the economy continues to be top of mind for every American. So I'd like to see anybody running for the White House uh, have that as a central piece of their messaging. You know, how are they going to fix immigration? What does immigration reform look like to them? And how are they going to tie the economic and commercial interests of our nation with immigration reform? And another thing, President Biden is not on the Democratic ballot in New Hampshire, but there is an expected writing campaign for his presence. So how might this dynamic influence the political landscape in New Hampshire and, and beyond as well? well I've got to tell you, look, I'm a Democrat, but, but I've got to tell you that, that I think the DNC made the wrong move here. Uh, you know, every American deserves to be spoken to. Every state matters. New Hampshire matters. And we're seeing candidates work really hard for the vote. Uh, I don't think the president should be exempted from that. I think he should have participated in New Hampshire. Every every conversation, every vote, every state is going to matter. And, uh, and, and I think that was the wrong call by the DNC, in my opinion. As well, uh, the Democratic Party uh, doesn't have delegates at stake in the New Hampshire primary. So do you think this could work in, in favor for Haley potentially? For example, might more independents choose to vote in the Republican primary to make their vote count? Certainly, you know, in New Hampshire, you have a, a very unique set of circumstances, right? 30 percent of voters uh, are registered Republican, 30 percent are registered Democrat, and 40 percent are registered unaffiliated. So there's a, a broad opportunity here for Haley to make inroads with that community. And I want to look ahead as well. What are the key factors or events uh, you believe will play a crucial role in determining the next U.S. president? And how might the results in New Hampshire set the stage for that? Well, you know, I, I don't think New Hampshire is, it, it's going to be a bellwether, but we're a long way from the White House. Uh, if you look at what happened in Iowa, you know, obviously Donald Trump had a decisive win, but at the end of the day, it was 56,000 Republicans that voted for him. That's less than 3% of the registered voters in that state. New Hampshire could go the same way. What I'm delighted to see, Don, is two candidates working extremely hard to earn the trust and the vote of the American people. They're out there, they're campaigning, they're having the discussions, they're being involved. And that, to me, is a great, uh, you know, indication of just how hard they're going to work for the American people. I think every discussion, every conversation is going to matter. And I find myself really excited about what I'm seeing here. I mean, think about this. We're witnessing American history as it's being made. We've never been here before as a nation. We're down to two candidates on the Republican side, and New Hampshire hasn't even happened yet. And one of those candidates is a woman and of immigrant background at that. That speaks volumes of our nation, and I think that's what we should focus on as Americans. Obviously, we've got challenges. Obviously, there's a great deal of dissension in our nation right now, but I choose to look at the positives here. This is America at work, and I'm delighted to see, at least in this case, Donald Trump and Nikki Haley working extremely hard to get the vote from the people of New Hampshire. All right, maybe just one more thing to get your comments on. Uh, how do you think uh, the Hispanic vote will factor into everything? You know, that's one thing that, that, uh, that I want to see all of the candidates really uh, working at. Uh, if you look at it right now, every 30 seconds, a Hispanic in this nation becomes an eligible voter. Uh, if you look at it, there are more Hispanics in this nation than there are African Americans and Asians combined. 
and yet we continually get overlooked by both parties, frankly. One party's taking us for granted, the other one's not doing enough to do you know, the, the appropriate outreach to our community. We are a vote that is about 50% independent. So that Hispanic vote may be the deciding factor for ultimately who ends up in the White House. And I wanna see anybody running for the White House uh, really engaged with America's burgeoning Hispanic community. All right, Javier, pleasure speaking to you today. Thanks for having me. And make sure you don't miss our special coverage of the New Hampshire primary coming up tonight. Join Steve Lance and Tiffany Meyer for another exciting election night on The Nation Decides 2024. Exclusive on-the-ground access and special guests. Watch the action live tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. A group of thieves used a stolen government-owned vehicle to break into a Southern California clothing store. The brazen smash and grab was all caught on video. NTD's Christina Corona has more on the story. The burglary occurred around 4.45 a.m. Sunday morning at Hype Kingdom in Bellflower, a black-owned business that sells clothes, shoes, and accessories located on the 17,000 block of Lakewood Boulevard. Surveillance footage shows the suspects ramming a car multiple times into the store, breaking a security gate and wall before ransacking and stealing hundreds of items. More than a dozen suspects can be seen wearing hooded sweatshirts and masks, leaving with armfuls of items. Items. Police confirm the suspects used a stolen government vehicle to ram into the storefront. The owner of the store estimated that more than 500 items were stolen, but the exact amount of merchandise is currently unknown. Authorities say several suspects are still at large. Christina Corona, NTD News, California. National Rifle Association CEO Wayne LaPierre arrived at the New York State Supreme Court for his civil corruption trial today. New York Attorney General Letitia James sued the NRA and LaPierre in August 2020. She's accusing the group of diverting millions of dollars to fund luxuries for top officials. James says they violated state laws governing nonprofits. LaPierre ran the NRA for decades before announcing his resignation earlier this month. The organization denies the allegations and accuses James of targeting it for political purposes. The NRA also claims she's violating the First Amendment by trying to silence its speech. A Christian cake shop owner is in court again for refusing a customer's request. Jack Phillips of Masterpiece Cake Shop won a case about a wedding cake for a gay couple. Now he's been asked to bake a cake for a gender transition. Entity's Daniel Monin has spoke with an attorney on the new case. The Colorado Supreme Court is hearing a new case where Masterpiece Cake Shop baker Jack Phillips declined to bake a cake celebrating a person's gender transition. The person, attorney Autumn Scardina, sued him, claiming that Phillips had refused service based on gender identity. Scardina, a man who identifies as a woman, wrote on X that Phillips refuses to make any cake that, quote, celebrates me because I am trans. Telios Law Attorney Teresa Sidebotham says Jack Phillips has no problem doing business with anyone and would never refuse to serve someone based on their race, religion, or lifestyle. The problem, according to Sidebotham, is when he is asked to expressly design something to convey a point of view. But if he's being asked to express a message, he'll only express messages that he's okay with expressing. So, for instance, he won't put 
insults on cakes. He won't do Halloween cakes because that goes against his religious convictions. Masterpiece Cake Shop refused to make the custom-designed cake pink on the inside and blue on the outside, saying the customer specifically requested that the cake express messages and celebrate an event in conflict with owner Jack Phillips' religious beliefs. And the particular individual that requested this pink blue case had had also requested some other cakes. One uh, was basically obscene or pornographic. One had a satanic theme and Jack Phillips also declined to do those cakes. Here's Phillips on EWTN News Nightly discussing the case. We serve everybody and we even offer the person suing us other cakes but we just can't create every message that people ask us to create with our custom cakes. Attorney Teresa Sidebotham says this case is part of an American free speech theme that's been going on for decades. Sidebotham says an artist should not be compelled to create art expressing something the artist doesn't agree with. When artists have to create art in a certain way, it turns into propaganda. I mean, look at art coming out of the USSR or the, the Nazi regime. It, it's not considered the highest fine art. I think that same courtesy should be extended to people across the political spectrum, and we might have more congeniality and civility if we did that. The case is currently in the briefing state at the Colorado Supreme Court. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Coming up, heavy rain and flooding bring more weather-related warnings to multiple states. More on the damages and safety advisories. And in the NBA, a historic night for reigning MVP Joel Embiid. Dave Martin joins us to discuss when we come back. Heavy rain from weekend storms on the West Coast and southern U.S. flooded streets and freeways and toppled trees. Officials issued flood warnings in many areas. Here's more. Flash floods inundated homes and overturned cars in San Diego on Monday. The rainstorm swept through a large portion of the U.S., toppling trees and overflowing streets across California. Flood water swept away vehicles and caused cars to pile up on top of each other in parts of San Diego. The National Weather Service warned residents not to travel unless absolutely necessary and when encountering flooded roadways, turn around, don't drown. San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria declared a state of emergency on Monday due to extreme rainfall and flash flooding. Footage from the Citizen app showed Interstate 5 in San Diego flooded, causing drivers to escape their cars on the freeway. The San Diego Union-Tribune said about 45 stranded individuals were rescued from swollen rivers or flooded locations in the Tijuana River Valley and Mission Valley. Eight illegal immigrants were rescued after authorities found them trapped under a bridge in San Ysidro. Several feet of water inundated Southern California neighborhoods and highways in San Diego's Mountain View neighborhood. Mammoth Mountain Ski Resort received over two feet of snow. In the southern U.S., the National Weather Service issued an alert for moderate risks of excessive rainfall for parts of the Deep South and Gulf Coast through Wednesday. There is also a warning for numerous flash floods. In the central U.S. and along the East Coast, unusually cold weather has caused dozens of deaths in multiple states this month, many involving hypothermia or road accidents. 
And now for your sports news, we're joined by NTD's Dave Martin. Dave, quite a night in the NBA yesterday. Um, now, where does Joel Embiid's 70-point outing rank in the league's history? Well, he's just the ninth player ever to hit that mark in a game, and the NBA dates back nearly 80 years. So it's a very exclusive list, too. I mean, surprisingly, though, no Michael Jordan on that list. He did get to 69 one time. No Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, not even LeBron James, who's the league's all-time leading scorer, has gotten 70 in a game. And amazingly, Wilt Chamberlain has gotten there nine different times. Still holds the top mark when he, get a, when he got 100. That was some 60 years ago. That's probably the most untouchable record in the NBA. Now, elsewhere last night, Carl Anthony Towns of Minnesota scored 62. He broke, broke his own franchise record. But unlike Embiid's big day, his team did not win. They lost to Charlotte. But it was a rare night in league history that two players go off like that. All right, now let's shift to tennis. Uh, Rafael Nadal, who's uh, noticeably absent from the Australian Open with a hip injury, looks like he could potentially return soon. What's his status? Yeah, it's pretty good news for uh, Nadal and his fans, and there's plenty of those. You know, he's set to return to play next month at the Qatar Open, and play there starts on February 19. Now, Nadal missed virtually all of last year with a hip injury. He finally returned to play at the Brisbane International earlier this month, only to injure the same hip. Now, this time it was labeled as a muscle tear instead of a ligament. Now, Nadal, I mean, he's 37. He said this will likely be his final year of play. I'm sure the hope is that he can be healthy for the French Open. That's his tournament. He's won it a record 14 times. I think most everyone would like to see him win it again in his final season. That's not until May, though, so he's got still a few months to ramp up to speed. All right, Dave. Thank you, as always. Thank you, Don. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Don Ma. Tiffany Meyer will be back tomorrow. Good night.